0: Coming up on this episode of The Courage to Change.
1: I shoot the gun and (laughs) I shoot the the window, the passenger side window out and, you know, tell him, you know, that was dumb of him. And if he did something that stupid again, the next one wouldn't just be the window. So it's so stupid. And anyway, there's a there's an undercover cop behind us. Of
0: course there is. How could there not be? Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. I am talking quickly, and my name is Ashley Blassingame. And today I met with and had a little fireside chat with my friend Titus Gardner. Titus was born in Port Chester, New York. That was terrible. That's embarrassing. And raised by a man whom he later found out was not his biological father. This news devastated Titus, obviously, and he found himself in the throes of an identity crisis. Later in life, when he was a teenager, both of his parents were diagnosed with HIV-AIDS, a disease that ultimately took both of their lives. Following the death of his parents, Titus found himself on the streets as a high-level drug dealer who always had a place to stay. Alcohol became his outlet to cope with the stress Life threw his way. It wasn't until March 31st of 2020 that Titus began a journey of self-healing and recovery. Titus currently serves as the vice president for a Fortune 1000 company overseeing the Arizona market. When he's not working or connecting with others in recovery, Titus enjoys spending time with his wife and children. Titus in the house. You guys, Titus is the sweetest man and has the most pleasant voice. I was just talking with Ashley and Christiana. He is just like the most... Like his voice and his story do not match. He's this, you know, he was this high level drug dealer. He's talking about putting stuff out on consignment and like the way his voice sounds, you might think he's talking about clothes or furniture, but he's not, guys. He's talking about he's talking about some serious drugs and alcohol. Maybe not alcohol, drugs. And um, we hear a lot of the recovery pieces, right? Like running from feelings and, and looking for the differences, not the similarities. And, you know, addict thinking, alcoholic thinking, Titus covers all of those. And what's really cool is that he also talks deeply about his recovery experience and what it's like to be in recovery now. He's actually formerly a Lion Rock Recovery client. He he contacted Lion Rock Recovery in 2020 and has been sober ever since. We recorded this episode on his one year. So that was very exciting and ceremonious. And I think you will just enjoy Titus as I did. He's just, you know, a lovely human being and such an example of how we can go from you know, these crazy sea urchin creature people doing horrible things to, you know, law-abiding and contributing members of society. And Titus is, is uh, he is no exception to that, that story. And I hope that you hear something that helps you. So without further ado, my friends, we have episode 109. Let's do this.
2: You're listening to
0: the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We're a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Awesome. Hi, Titus. Thanks for being here.
1: Yeah. Hi. How are you?
0: I am doing well. I'm very excited to uh, have this conversation with you.
1: Yeah, same here. Thank you. I appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, so I want to kick off with my season three icebreaker esque, which is um, actually pretty funny for yours. You sent us. We start with a, a, a bad haircut photo, <laughs> and um, and that gets posted online. And I I laughed out loud when I saw your photo um, because it's just a picture of you with a shaved head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's no hair. <laughs> It's so good
0: oh it's so good okay and i'm I'm, i have to ask how old were you in
1: this picture oh gosh it was less than two years ago so what 44 okay Okay. all
0: right all right so that look if this is your worst haircut picture you're doing all right
1: well i i mean is that old enough to know better
0: (laughs) young enough to do it again i think so young
1: exactly
0: yeah That's what I, that's, that, that was the, that was my age for a long time. When people asked me how old I was, you Uh know, when I was in those teen years with going to Vegas and I was like, I'm old enough to know better, young enough to do it again. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. So how long have you, you're in, you're in Arizona right now, right?
1: I am. Yes. You're
0: in, where in where in Arizona are you?
1: Yeah, I am actually in Surprise, Arizona.
0: Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. It's starting to
1: get warm. It is. We're going to hit, I believe, on Saturday. We'll be hitting about ninety six degrees.
0: Oh, you are. You're. We're. Oh, we're back to summer. Okay,
1: got it. Yeah, we're we're back to summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're back
0: to summer. Okay, great. Uh, we're actually. I'm in Southern California. We're actually in the high eighties, and it's. Uh, oh wow. I won't say what month it is because that'll screw us up with, I don't even know when this podcast will come out, but it's, uh, it, so we're, we're, we're not too far off of you guys, but you did not grow up in Arizona. You grew up in Port Chester, New York.
1: I did. I did. So I was born in Port Chester in 1974, lived in Yonkers for a little bit, um, in my early teenage years and, um. We actually moved to Colorado Springs in 1988 when I was about 13.
0: Oh wow! Okay, and yeah. uh, Colorado, I, Colorado Springs is beautiful. And you, so some interesting things. Some interesting things. You grew up with a father that you didn't know was not your biological father, and you found out in kind of a in kind in a kind of a cruel way, and then your dad. And is it the same dad? Ended up going to jail, um, got in some trouble when you were about ten and eleven. Can you take us through that time?
1: Yeah. So, so my father met my mom, I guess, when I was about two, and uh, this was in in New York, in Port Chester. And uh, you know, as I grew up, I. Just always, you know, that was the house, father, mother, (laughs) you know, started having siblings. And um, that was the family structure. Well, my father also had family in Port Chester, New York. His mother, his stepfather, and um, I believe his younger brother lived with his mom at the time and a couple of cousins. And so so as a, a young one, you know, we'd go over to Grandma Maisie's house and um what my younger brother and uh and and everything was you know pretty normal. They were older kids than than what we were so it was always fun being around the older kids. Uh my father had an older brother and he would also, if he wasn't in trouble with the law, (laughs) be over there and he'd hang out as well. So it was kinda kinda normal. My father this
0: this is your father who is the Green Beret, who was was the Green Beret that was the same Man.
1: Yes, yes. Okay. So he he was he was a, a Green Beret in the Army, served in Vietnam, and also taught Kung Fu at some of the local awesome. um community places like Corpus Christi and things of that nature. Yeah, and I'd go to work with him on Saturdays and eat, work at the farms and pick up fruit and deliver fruits and things of that nature. And so it was a it was a normal childhood, I I guess if you want to call it normal learning kung fu at the age of two <laughs> <laughs> in growing up. But uh one day actually, Ashley to to go back to your original question, that really, you know, just was a, a surprise or or a shocker and kind of molded I I guess some of the trauma in my life as I got older is, you know, I was over at Grandma Maisy's, my father's mother, and Hanging out, my older brother happened to be there, a cousin and an uncle, and ones I associated with for years. And this particular day was weird. We were in my uncle's room at the back of the house, and uh, all of a sudden they they were teasing me and kind of kind of bullying me, punching on me, pushing me around, and um, and they hung me up by my underwear on uh, on the closet door in, you know, kind of, they thought it was funny, to give me a wedgie or whatever. And, you know, and as I was, you know, kind of crying and complaining that this wasn't fun, it, you know, they started chanting at me that, um, you know, you're a gardener, which is my last name. And from my mother's side and your family's weak and you're not a Nelson and, uh, which is my father's last name and you're not related to us. And, you're not my brother. You're not my cousin. You're not my, my nephew and all this stuff. And I just thought they were messing around and I'm like, yeah, right. Whatever. You know, guys quit, quit playing. You know, this is, you guys are roughing me up and it hurts. And you know, they, they, they kept doing it and I realized it was really serious. And, um, and I was really taken back because it went from, I thought they were just messing around to they were being, being pretty serious. And so I ran in my, grandmother's room and I was crying and, um, I told her what they were doing and she's just like, you know, Hey, you know, quit messing with tea is what she called me. And, um, and I, I said what they were telling me. And she says, well, Larry never told you he's not your, your real dad. And I said, no, what do you mean? And she was like, yeah, he's not, he's not your real dad. And, you know, and so, you know, it was pr- pretty devastating getting, that news after my grandmother told me that, you know, um, Larry was at my father and it just, just in shock. And, you know, I didn't even care about the, the bullying or the beating, Yeah, you, you yeah. Know, just trying to figure trying out to what's process. going on Yeah, <laughs> as a 10 year old. And, um, so I, um, you know, my dad came to pick me up, but uh, you know, I told them what happened and, you know, he, he told me, you know, what, why would they say that? You know, of course, I'm, I'm your father.
0: Oh, he didn't cop to it.
1: No, well, he he did. He he told me that you know it doesn't matter if it's okay. Or I not. see. He, I see. He's he's raised me. He's my father. Right. And um, but I, I just started to just notice things, I guess, or or maybe look at things differently from from that point on. And you know, and it, it never it never got better from there. Our relationship mm-hmm. never seemed to be the same. It just seemed to really. Kind of, kind of spiral out of control to where you know I, I really began to despise him as a person.
0: Ugh, that's yeah, it's such a hard thing, you know, when Pete, when someone raises another person's, you know, biological child, like, when do you tell them? How do you tell them? You know, I feel like I've heard so many stories from people finding out when they're really little to people like, that was the first thing they knew to people finding out, you know, kind of 10 to people finding out at 30, you know, it's like, it's yeah. so, it's such a tricky thing. And, um, and it can really, really hurt a relationship. So it sounds like after this point, your dad, goes to jail, but when he comes back, the relationship is really never the same. And it and from the description of kind of going from the disciplinarian with love and then to feeling abusive, it kind of sounds like something happened when he was away.
1: Yeah. I think that, you know, so when he was away, you know, there, I think there was still that bond and and still that, you know, me being at that early age, to missing having that father figure, Emerald, in my life, you know, even finding out what what I did, and um, and so what I didn't realize is that my mom <laughs> was kind of relieved at the time, and um, you know that maybe, your dad
0: was that your dad had gone away,
1: yeah, that that he was away,
0: and oh, okay. um,
1: what what I didn't realize is that there had been some, you know, um, physical abuse and some verbal abuse and and things of that nature. And she was good about kind of, kind of keeping that away from, from us. And so when he was away, you know, I I would talk about him a lot and say, I miss him. And, and I realized that she really didn't talk to him or she didn't take collect calls or anything Mm. like that. And I was the one doing all that communication and He would use me to kind of, you know, talk to your mom about this and tell your mom I miss her and I love her. And, you know, when I get out, I love to come back and, and these things. So, so I, so I did that, you know, and, you know, so I pressured her. And when he got released and, you know, he, he did come back. And at that point, we moved from Port Chester to, uh, to Yonkers, New York. So he came back and it was just different at first. He was kind of standoffish and, uh, And I can notice that, that he was very more loving toward, you know, my siblings, which would be two younger brothers. And then eventually we had a sister, but he'd be very kind and loving toward them. To me, you know, it just seemed like, um, I know he was, he was very stern. Everything was no, I didn't get that, that love, you know, feeling that he gave to them. So, you know, I asked him one day, I said, man, I said, you, know, you didn't even discipline me anymore, what what's going on? And and so I I kind of regret that I ever said that one. But as time moved on from there, you know, um, he was back in our lives regularly. The discipline to me, when he started giving me discipline, just really seemed, you know, beyond just just the regular, you know, physical discipline to correct you from a behavior. Um right. but it became more abusive to me you know, with, with the belts and the switches and extension cord and, you know, and things of that nature. And so, you know, I'm getting a little bit older and, and then my punishments would, would, they wouldn't fit, you know, the crime, so to speak. It would, you know, I, I get a, a D at school, for example, and I get grounded for the whole summer and I have to stay in the house or stay in my room. I got to sit in the window and watch my friends play. You know when I couldn't play with him. so just these kind of things was really like just didn't seem right to me, and it didn't feel right. And one day he was outside and he was washing his car, and I, I saw this uh, needle hanging out of his back pocket. Mm. And I said to him, I said, "Hey, hey, what is that? You know, hanging out your back pocket?" And uh, he said, "Oh, he covered it up with his hand. Oh, oh, that, that's nothing. Whoa." Well, it actually was heroin, you know, that, that he was using and, you know, it could have been from, you know, post-traumatic stress from the military, you know, being a nom. I have no idea, but what it did do is it changed me and my siblings lives for forever. And what I mean by that is as the crack epidemic and things got so bad in New York and where we were, you see these drug crack vials from—I'll never forget it—at the at the young age, uh, yellow caps, green caps, blue caps, purple caps, and you know just all over the streets. And we had family in Colorado Springs, and so my my parents had decided to to move us, you know, out of that environment, and we we moved to Colorado, and that was in
0: 1988. What were and the what were the caps? That you're talking about, are you talking about like like um, syringe caps?
1: No, so these were like little, little containers, small oh, like containers. like vials or something? Like vials, correct. That could hold like one or two, maybe three crack rocks.
0: Okay, and, okay.
1: Yeah, so they were just little vials. So you see the empty ones all over the street. Right, okay. Color-coded caps on them.
0: Okay, okay, and they were sold that way? Like. Yes. Got yeah. it, okay, okay. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, just kind of give you a perspective of the environment,
0: yeah, yeah, now it's uh you know it's <laughs> this is a terrible joke, but it's like it reminds me of like how milk used to come in um <laughs> in- in glass containers, now it comes in plastic, well, like crack now comes in. <laughs> I, have, I, I literally that was the first thing i thought of i was like oh you mean like well, how milk used to be delivered in glass, and now yeah, it's delivered yeah.
1: just like milk <laughs> yeah just
0: like milk yeah okay well that's where mine that's 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 how my drug addict mind works oh that's my god <laughs> okay so they they're like let's oh they move you to yonkers to try to get out or they try or they moved you to colorado springs to try to get out of that that to Colorado
1: Springs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That makes so, sense. Yeah. So, you know, we, we moved to Colorado Springs and, you know, as a young kid coming from New York, I'm a, I'm a little apprehensive.
0: Was it as Caucasian then as it is now? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so nothing difficult about that transition.
1: No, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it started to become more and more diverse just because of the military. Right. So you got Fort Carson, you got the Air Force Academy. Right. Okay. Yep. So, so it started bringing in some diversity, but yeah, so, so, so we moved there. We live with my grandparents for a little bit and uh, we we get our own place and, you know, there's a lady back then because HIV and AIDS was really a huge epidemic at the time. It was kind of almost like the COVID when it came out. It was like the unknown. It was like, oh my gosh, yeah. you get AIDS and HIV. That's you know, everybody wants me. you got the plague, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, and, and and interesting, but cause you guys didn't know how it was transmitted. So there was no right. So you guys, as far as you were concerned, it could have been airborne.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we, we didn't at this time, you know, we we didn't know. No, anything. I, I mean, we weren't even thinking about, you know, HIV or AIDS or, or any of that. Just it was just huge, you know, epidemic going on and and increasing around the world and get more and more publicity on the news. And, you know, there was a, a lady by the name of Helen. She was doing some volunteer work and actually going into the neighborhoods, probably the lower income neighborhoods, but going into the neighborhoods. and doing free HIV tests. So I, I remember she came by our house and my parents took a test and I was, uh, should have been asleep. It was a school night. And when they got the results back, my mom was, um, was crying. I can hear her. She was talking to my dad and saying, you know, Hey, what are we going to do? You know, we got HIV. We're going to die. And what's going to happen to our kids. And I would try to suppress that as if it were just a bad dream that I really wasn't awakened to. I convinced myself that what I heard was, was in fact a, a dream. I so mean, that's a, a what's good that? Coping,
0: that, that's a, a, a legitimate coping skill.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, so then, you know, my dad and I, our relationship just, just got worse. I don't know if he was more bitter now because of, you know, the situation. And and I I just remember he would go to the to the VA in Denver. So he'd have to travel about 60 miles north or so from Kairos Springs to do his checkups. And, and I, I just remember as a kid saying, man, I hope that guy gets in a car accident, doesn't make it back. And which obviously wasn't a nice thing to think about. But just kind of where the relationship was. and
2: You were, you were, you
0: were, AIDS wasn't doing it fast enough.
1: <laughs> no, it, it wasn't you, working quick you, enough for yeah,
0: me. You, <laughs> you, a fatal illness was not really just, you were, that expedition was, was needed. Okay. Well, so it sounds like
1: things were going well. <laughs> well uh. It was, Well, I'll give you an example of some of the stuff that that I'd have to do, Ashley, that made me feel this way. So so we're living in Colorado Springs. Uh, I'm pretending this was a dream. No one's talking about it. And um, so it's life is normal. And we, um, our next door neighbor, they actually had grass and stuff in their backyard. We didn't have grass in our backyard. It was nothing but dirt. So my dad, on a Saturday morning, says, hey, let's go outside in the backyard. Now, not my younger siblings, just me. Yeah, let's go, Dad. What's going on? Gives me a shovel. He gets a shovel. We start digging, and he shows me exactly how he wants me to turn up the dirt and dig in this particular way in these straight lines. So it's hard work, and, and I didn't want to do it. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. We're going we're to plant some seeds and get some grass, and I could, I could do this. And so I, I don't know how many Saturdays it was, maybe four Saturdays in a row. i um, You, I'm back you didn't
0: ask him. <laughs> no, you're you're a very obedient child. No,
1: I just assume this is great. And, and my right. father wasn't a very talkative person, anyway. right? Right. It was he one of those. You're the child. You just do as you're told. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And, yeah. He went. Um, to, he went to nom. No
1: talking. He, he did. went to nom. <laughs> yeah, very militant for sure. <laughs> yeah. and, okay. Uh,
2: so you're digging
1: it up four weekends in a row. So so I'm digging it up, right? And then, so I'm done. So everybody's playing, and this is a Saturday. I mean, in the, you know, early 90s, or or I'm sorry, late later 80s, early 90s, kids are, you know, waking up and watching He-Man and Transformers and Smurfs and all the cartoons that come on, and then they're going out and they're playing with their friends. Here I am digging up dirt in the backyard, well, when it's all done, I, I say, all right, dad, it's all done, you know, and I'm excited. And so then he gets, and, and I don't even know what it's called, but pretty much what he has me do at that point is go and then smash the dirt flat. So so now it doesn't make sense to me because I thought I was tealing the dirt so we can plant seeds. So now he's got me flattening the ground, which didn't make sense. So... Now I'm I'm upset and confused and don't know what's going on. Well, then I go flatten all the ground after another couple of weekends, and then it's all done. And I ask, well, what what are we doing, Dad? What what is that? I just needed to keep you busy. Okay, what a dick. you, You needed to keep me busy. All right. Well, okay. So we're not doing anything with the yard. No, we're not doing anything with the yard. So the, those are some of the the things that you know that I did that I just really
0: right okay you wanted to speed things under, up you didn't want to dig up the backyard again
1: no I I, I did it and and I just didn't understand it you know you know an, another example and and I'll fast forward to some positive but another example was you know he he would rebuild you know his engine and transmission and he he was handy in that way and can work on cars. So, you know, he's never taught me or showed me or anything of that nature. So one day I'm in the front yard and he's working on his car. He's got his toolbox next to him and he says, hey, pass me a wrench. Wait, he doesn't tell me what kind of wrench. I don't even know what a wrench is. (laughs) So this is, it's kind of, it's kind of sad, but it is comical. I pass him a screwdriver. And oh, boy. He's like, are, are you an idiot? Are you stupid? Like, what, what's your problem? I said, pass me a wrench. I don't know what a wrench is. Okay, look in there and use common sense. What's a wrench look like? What do you think it looks like? So I get a monkey wrench. Then he's like, well, what am I going to, you're just an idiot. Get get away from me. I'll get it. What am I going to do with a monkey wrench on a transmission? I don't know. Maybe if you showed me and taught me, <laughs> I, I know what kind of wrench to pass you. I didn't know you wanted a ratchet wrench. Tell. Tell me what a ratchet wrench is. Right, right. So, you know, so it was it was those kind of things. And in that kind of upbringing, you know, from me, uh, from my my dad's perspective of things. And, you know, I just just felt that, you know, whatever he was trying to teach me at the time or show me, I definitely wasn't understanding and I wasn't getting it. And it just really made me build up a, a lot of resentment toward him and then my brothers on the other hand you know they they got to have have fun and they got to to play and, and be normal kids um you know uh, unlike the experience i had
0: did you ever know your biological father
1: no I, I did and i think um after i got older and was married i lost my birth certificate and i had to request a birth certificate and i think i came across his name for the first time i did try to try to look them up because I, I had a kid at that time. I have two now, but at that time I, I have just my son and I thought it'd be nice to kind of know if there's any health issues or what that history is, but I was pretty unsuccessful and, and I didn't try hard. I just, yeah, yeah I figured I've I made it this far. So
2: stay tuned to hear more
0: in just a moment.
2: Hi. It's Christiana, your producer, and if you're like me and you love coffee or coffee alternatives, you can now shop with the cause by visiting lionrock.life and clicking on shop. 100% of the profits fund substance abuse treatment for those who can't afford it. You can't really go wrong. We're now carrying, in addition to our amazing coffee, if you haven't tried it, matcha made in organic matcha powder. Love me some green tea. Golden Grind Turmeric Latte Blend, and Prana Chai Original Blend. So we've got something for everyone. We love mixing these delicious coffee alternatives with something like milk or almond milk, oat milk, or even just hot water. The organic matcha powder is vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, and simply delectable. The Turmeric Latte Blend, the winner of Australia's Best Beverage product in 2017, helps bring about relaxation and restoration while also nurturing your body. The Prana Chai, that has been my pregnancy craving, it's amazing, is blended in Melbourne from all natural ingredients and uses 100% Australian quality honey blended by hand with tea and whole spices. By shopping for coffee and coffee alternatives at lionrock.life, you are also helping provide substance abuse treatment for someone who can't afford it. Your favorite drink with a cause. So again, go to lionrock.life, click on shop. And you'll see our coffee and our brand new coffee alternatives. We hope that you enjoy it. Send us a picture. maybe we will feature you on our Instagram as well and and okay,
0: so your your dad who raised you when you were fifteen, you guys were still living in Colorado Springs and he dies of hiv aids
1: yes yeah yeah he he does so. So now that, that dream is becoming my, my biggest nightmare because I'm watching him get sicker and sicker, right, and right, lose weight, right. And start withering away. And so now I'm, I'm afraid. I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is real. That wasn't a dream. And you know, your, your mom's not too far behind. So after my dad got sick and I believe that was in 1990 and, and he died, my, right. um, my mom would start having some, some real conversations with me. Mm. And, um, you know, she'd start telling me, you know, Hey, I'm going to die and I'm not afraid to die. You know, my, my faith and my, my trust is in God, but I, I don't want to leave you guys. And, um, that's my biggest fear. And so I I need you to, to really get it together and, you know, start studying the Bible and, you know, I, I need you to keep the family together. I need you to take care of your brothers and your sister. And to me, I'm, I'm just like, Hey, quit talking like that. You're not going to yeah. die. You know, I, and I don't know the first thing about trying to take care of my brothers and sisters, you know? So I, I think I was, I was trying anything to kind of, kind of run away from it. And, you know, as I saw her start, you know, starting to get sick. And I, I think it's a reality and the pressure from her and The reality of it happening was really, really hitting me. And I just tried to run away from it and hide and started hanging out with the wrong crowd and got involved with um, the wrong people. Um, Started at that time, what I call running the streets. So hanging out with people that sell sell drugs and do things that, that aren't the most ethical. And one of my buddies from school his mom was kind of one of those moms that, hey, as long as you do it at our house and it's in the house, I, right. I don't really care what you do. So, you know, if you were smoking marijuana and drinking forty ounces, you know, at the age of sixteen, now, you know, it was all cool with her. So, I asked if I can move in with them, and I moved in with them, and and that uh, really began, you know, my drinking and you know the selling drugs and really trans inspiring into a totally different person than I was brought up to be.
0: Right. That's what, you know, the descriptions, the descriptions, you know, that's what it sounds like. It's like we turn into this completely different person. And I doubt that if your mother had, I doubt that if you had been the person you, you were, you're describing to me that your mother would have said, you know, can you take care of the other kids? Obviously you were in a place where she saw your ability to, you know, to do that. And you're believed you to be really responsible. And it sounds like maybe you decided you didn't want to be responsible and you didn't, you didn't want that on your, you know, you didn't want to deal with that. And so ran in the other direction, which makes sense at, you know, at 16,
1: 17. Yeah. And and that's a, that's exactly what happened. I I mean, I, I ran in that direction and I guess it was just still, um, not wanting to deal with reality And in my mom, you know, one thing I I would like to say about her is that, you know, from my mother's standpoint, I mean, she was super awesome. I mean, just loving, caring, you know, if, if she didn't have it from a financial standpoint, you know, our clothes were just always clean and pressed. And if they came from a secondhand store or if they came from Kmart back then at the time, you would never know, you know just because of the way that she took care of us. And the other thing that I really appreciated about her, Ashley, that, you know, I've tried to bring into my parenting and my wife's a pretty natural at this, is the open communication. You know, Mm -hmm. unlike my father, you know, if I said something or whatever, I had to worry about getting, you know, whooping and, you know, don't even know if he heard what I said or listened to me. But from my mom's standpoint, even though, There were times there was still discipline coming and I knew it. She took the time and she listened to me. And when I say I could tell my mom anything and everything, I I could tell her anything and everything. I mean, at one point, I don't know what was going on, but I thought I wanted a a kid at an early age when she was still alive. And I was like, I'm going to make you a grandma. And she's like, you're going to do what? She's like, boy, you came. not take care of yourself. You're not going out yeah. there. And what girls are you running around here with? You know, and, you know, I could just have those candid conversations. Mom, the teacher made me mad in class today, you know, and I cussed her out. Well, why would you do that? Well, you're going to get a phone call. I'm just giving you a heads up. And, you know, and and we'd sit down and she'd reason with me she take me to some scriptures in the Bible and reason. And, and then there was discipline after, you know, if the punishment or whatever. And I was okay. And I knew I did well, you know, when I'd open up to her. So, you know, losing that and in, in, in seeing her start to get sick and have these candid conversations with me that, you know, hey, I'm dying and I'm not going to be here. You know, for me, I I was losing my best friend. I was losing my mom. I was like. My confidant, what am I gonna do? Where am I gonna go? like to me it was like my world was really coming you know to an end, yeah how how I saw it
0: yeah and 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 what is you know someone who wants to run like the best place to run right, where people make you feel like you're a part of if you do the things they do, right is the streets. You know that's where everybody's running. everybody's numbing everybody's wants you know coming from running from something, coming from some place of brokenness. so it makes sense also that you came from that um how how long after she was diagnosed did she die or how long after your dad did she pass
1: so she she passed um about two years after my dad or a little less than two years he uh he died in nineteen ninety. She died in, in nineteen ninety two. So, so I'm, I move out and I'm living, you know, with the school buddy, and we're we're just running in the streets and pure knuckleheads. And i to go by and visit my siblings and my mom, and you know, I'd buy them, you know, a game system or whatever, and drop it off at the house, or you know, tires for my mom's car. Tried to give her money, and she she didn't want my money. She knew what it was coming from, and so. You know, she uh, she was really really sick, and she was in hospice at my my grandparents' house. And you know, this is New Year, so I I won't forget this day. But um, I'm in the car. I got my girlfriend and her sister in the back seat, and and uh, my cousins in the front seat, and we're it, we're drunk, we're we're wasted, and we were on our way driving up. Um, I believe it was Academy. Driving north End Academy to to go, you know, make a serve before we go to this New Year's party, and um, I got a, a gun in my glove compartment. And this car's kind of, you know, on the side of us, and young kids always, you know, looking at anybody who's got girls in the car. And this car's kind of kind of slow rolling on the side of us as we're going north on an Academy. And the guys are kind of, you know, staring at the girls in the back seat. So my cousin rolls down the window. And they see the gun and they, they speed up and he pops off a couple of shots. And, um, and, and and they get pretty mad at him, you know. And I'm like, hey, we got drugs in the car. Are you, are you stupid? What's wrong with you? And, you know, and I know and I'm, mind you, drunk and not, not proud of my action. But, you know, so I shoot the gun and <laughs> I shoot the, the window, the passenger side window out. And you know, tell him you know that was dumb of him. And if he did something that stupid again, the next one wouldn't just be the window. So, it, it, it's so stupid. And anyway, there's a there's an undercover cop behind us. And
0: of course, there is. How could there not be? Yeah,
1: yeah. And and we're we're driving and thinking everything's okay. And get, <laughs> get to the...
0: making threat shots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord!
1: <laughs> yeah, get get to um you know, to the place where, where we were going to make our, our serve. And so we're, we're inside and, um, I opened the door to, to leave and, you know, the SWAT team obviously is right there in the apartment hallway and they um, rushed me down. I mean, they got guns out everywhere before I knew it. I didn't even know what was going on. I'm up to the ground. knees are, on me, guns are at my head and, you know, they, they grab my cousin and, you know, and off we go to, to juvie. And uh, so this is this is January, New Year's of '92. So you know they're they're going through all the charges. Um, my aunt, meanwhile, knows that my mom is really fading away and she's dying. So you know she's writing letters. She's trying to see the judge, you know, to to get me out. And you know, by a miracle, I um, the judge lets me out, and he lets me out on on a friday i believe it was january 17th of 1992 and um they let me out on house arrest and my mom is downstairs at my grandparents house and she's on this bed and she's just as frail and just all bones and no, no one's she hasn't talked in a few weeks or what have you and uh you know i go to her bed and and um kiss her on her forehead and tell her i'm here she says, uh, is that, is that you, is that you? And I'm like, yeah, mom, it's me. And she said, are you back? And I, and I knew what she meant and I didn't want to lie, but I didn't, I couldn't tell her that I wasn't. When she said back, that meant like, are you studying the Bible? Or are you getting your life back together? Like, are you off the street or are you back? And I said, yeah, Mom, I'm back. And um, and then she died. She had, didn't say a word after that, and 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 you know she died that Sunday. And so it just and, and for a little while there was a, a part of me that was like, I, I want to get my life together. You know, I'm still young enough to to get myself together. Seventeen now, and um, I, I tried, but you know, just the pain, the confusion, the hurt, the lostness. It, it didn't last for a long time so I, I continued doing what i was doing you know got got off house arrest eventually got off my probation but continued uh, to run this the streets and and um you know went from doing small small deals to you know um getting with some some pretty big players in other states and doing things on a larger scale and you know just becoming you know pretty Pretty, pretty fearless and not really caring because I didn't really care what happened to me. I didn't care about my life. So my life was pretty much, you know, just drinking and partying and making money. And, you know, that that kind of was my life. Um, I did, though, actually, in between all that, I I met who my wife is today. I I met Cindy and, you know, I did fall for her and she was um, more on the, the good girl side. She was the, the honor student, you know, parents, you know, uh, middle-class family, came from a good family, did well in school, cheerleader, cross, you know, country track runner, played basketball, got good grades. And uh, I would go to her school sometimes to pick her up. And <laughs> the principal actually called her mom. It was <laughs> like, uh, I, I I know you probably want to be aware of what's going on with your daughter, but this guy's—he's no kid. He's bad news. This guy that's coming to the school and that you know um, she's involved with, and um, so so that posed its challenges. But she she graduated and then she eventually moved in with me, and I, I kept my my lifestyle for a while. And she started studying the Bible though with my aunt, and she would say stuff like, "Hey." you kind of know all this stuff and you grew up with this and you act the way you do. And, you know, so she was starting to give, give me a hard time of, about my lifestyle. And, uh, and then my aunt actually said to her one time when they were studying that, Hey, I, I, that's my nephew and I love him. But you know, if he can't get his head together, I, I know all kind of, other, you know, spiritual men that would would love to be with you. <laughs> and so, so that, that wasn't cool. That wasn't going over uh, too well. So I actually stopped her from studying for a while. I would like, oh, say, my aunt's going to be talking to you like that. You oh can't study with her. And um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, oh, man.
1: so she's uh, so she's so my wife's trying to get to me. And there were these conventions that we would have. It, and this was just just to die for. So I'd always wear all these gold rings, right? I'd have um, eight gold rings, four four gold rings on, or one on each finger. And I have these nuggets and, and stuff like that. And and I just I love guns and, and, and buying guns and stuff. But but so so when the convention came up one year, my wife really wanted to go, and I kind of wanted to have a better conscience about going. There were three-day conventions in Denver, so I would I would pawn all my gold rings and just get rid of them. Don't ask why; it just made my conscience feel better. I <laughs> would I would get rid of my guns, and I'd put all my dope out on consignment, so I felt clean. So now I could go to this mm. convention like. I got no drugs. I got no guns. On me. I I got nothing. I'm I'm clean. And and then after we get back, I go get my rings back out the pawn shop and get my guns back. And you know, <laughs> and, and it, it's silly. Don't don't ask me.
0: <laughs> you know, whatever whatever <laughs> makes you feel better, right?
1: <laughs> it, it made me feel better.
0: There you go. And
1: so um <laughs> I, I I um so fast forward to you know w- what got me to to fully make a transformation out of that life is um one morning I came home and we just had got some stuff back from a large shipment, you know, from out of state. And um I put everything out in consignment and I um get home from drinking and partying and we hit, we were in a, a one bedroom studio in Colorado Springs in the Broadmoor area. And um I get the knock on the door after I got home. Maybe thirty minutes after I got home, it was like three thirty-four in the morning. You know, I always kept my—I uh, had a, a sawed-off pistol grip pump shotgun. that i always keep by the door and start so grabbing. and I look out the people. and I, I see the kid from. You know, I went to school. I know he went to jail. I didn't know how he knew where I lived, but I was—I was too out of it and. Anyway, I open the door and and he kind of forces his way in a little bit and he, and he kind of gives me this hug and and when I I hug him, I'm like, hey, why why you got a bulletproof vest on? And as soon as I say that, this guy with a mask comes from the side and he pistol whips me and he kind of put me down to the ground. And um, Cindy, we're in a studio apartment, so Cindy, my wife now, is is in the bed and you know the guy jumps on the bed and he puts the gun on her. Oh, and they're good. just like, Hey, we know that you got some stuff in and, you know, we don't want to take anybody's life, but we will, we just, just want the stuff. So I said, look, I, there's nothing here. It's all that on consignment. And I got a couple of thousand dollars in the house and that, and a half of, uh, you know, cocaine and you can have that. And that's all I got. So anyway, so they, they took that and, you know, I, I grabbed my gun and, looking out the window and down the So, hallway. but the
0: guy who came in, like you knew him.
1: I knew him from school. I sure did. Yeah. From when, wow. I, yeah, when I was in school. So somehow just through some associations, I, I, it was a setup. And, um, and he, yeah, yeah, and obviously he wasn't, a lot of people were afraid of me, but he, he obviously wasn't afraid to do it because he did it. <laughs> so, right. so I, I make some phone calls and, you know, um, people come over to my house, a couple of close buddies and. Um, my cousin, and everything. And, you know, I just say, come over, lock and loaded. And so everybody knows what that means. And we, we go out driving and, and we're looking, you know, for this guy and, you know, we we don't find him. And um, a couple of weeks later, I get a call from another kid that I went to school with and he's like, Hey, heard what happened. And uh, just want to let you know, you're, you're not going to find him. He's not actually here. You know, he's out in, in Denver And, but we know where his mom, I know where his mom lives. So, um, I'm like, okay. So like, it's, you know, it's like send a message, you know, time and, um, you know, we, we drive to the house and and
0: naturally you have to kill his mother. I mean, there's no other option there. What else are you going to do? right yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> it's yeah i mean
0: i don't see any other no other way out of this obviously
1: 1 plus 1 is 2 actually yeah I mean, it's not on. my
0: fault i don't make the rules
1: i don't make the rules <laughs> yeah so. okay
0: all right i get it
1: so so um so we pull up to the house and in in i can't do it and you know uh my cousin and some buddies, you know, they, they're they out. They're like, come on, let's listen. I'm like, "Nah, no, we're not going to do this. And, you know, I'm really mad. And I'm like, hey, everybody in the car, this is not going down. It's not going to happen. And um, what I, I realized, that, you know, they were, you know, hey, we got to do something. And, you know, this is going to make you look even worse. And, you know, it's one you already got jacked. And, hey, you're not even doing anything about it, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, there was a time, Ashley, sad to say, that I didn't care about my life. I didn't care about life in, in, in doing something. I mean, so far fetched and thinking that way um, pains me today to even think that I could have been a person like that back then. But, you know, there was a a time in my life where I I wouldn't have hesitated or even thought twice about doing something like that because just the place I was in. And, um, but, you know, I was, I was in love. I was in love with Cindy. And I thought one day I I could study the Bible. One day I I could be with her and I could change my life and I could have a family. And it it doesn't have to be the end and don't have to live a life where I'm going to end up dead or end up in prison for, you know, doing something, you know, stupid like this. And um, so anyway, so we go back and I talk to Cindy and I tell her and I said, you know, I don't have it in me anymore. You know, I'm feeling a different way, feeling things that I've never felt before and I care about you and I want to, I want to start a different life and I don't want this life anymore. And um, so obviously there was a, a transition period to kind of giving you the high level <laughs> overview <laughs> and cap on this. So, you know, so I, I got, I got out and I started studying the Bible and, you know, we, we eventually got baptized together and what ended up happening with the guy you know, who did that to me, we were, we were sitting in the, in the living room and we were watching the news one day and there was a murder and someone had robbed a liquor store and they shot the owner and killed him. And it, and it was the guy that, it was the guy that jacked me. And we were like, wow, wow. That, that could have been us. I mean,
2: Jeez.
1: He, he went to prison and you know, and that, that, that could have been us. So, so that, that was that part of my life. And, and I left that part of my life and you know, all that stuff I had out in consignment. This was the condition for my uncle who I wanted to have him to study the Bible with me. And it was uh my it was my aunt's husband who was studying with my uh my wife a girlfriend at the time now wife, but he said, Um, look, I, I know what you've been involved with and what you've been doing and and if you want me to study, you're gonna have to give it all up. And I was like, Well, I'm not doing that anymore. I just got a lot of money I need to collect and He's like, nah, you can't even do that. if you want me to study with you, clean. I want you to clean right now. Drop it all. And I was like, Oh my goodness, okay. And I wanted to change my life that that bad that that I did. And you know, we had some money, you know, to, to you get you changed
0: going. your life and everyone else who was dealing. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "I'm sorry, what? You don't want your money back?" Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. The word on so, the street, that was that was like Christmas morning for people. It was
1: Christmas for everybody. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so they all got they all got fronted on consignment and never had to pay for it. Yeah. So yeah. it was it was a win-win for everybody, <laughs> yeah. I guess.
0: The drug community thanks you. <laughs>
1: yeah. And uh and so so started so started, like I said, studying, got baptized and uh, you know, try to just reinvent myself, I guess, and, and just yeah. recreate myself and and my wife. And, you know, we, we did end up taking custody of my brothers and my sister. So they, they ended up moving in. We took care of uh, you know, the one that's right under me until he was eighteen. And my brother underneath him, the youngest, we He stayed with us until he was 18 and, you know, and my sister did too until she went to college. So, so during that time, things were, were better for me from that perspective. And I felt like, wow, you know, I I did something that my mom wanted me to do and Mm. that was keep her kids together so that we weren't separated and we, they, everybody grew up together. So we were,
0: where, where were your siblings when you took custody of them? Where had they, who had they been with?
1: yeah good good question. They've been with my grandparents, so okay, okay So, so two were with my grandparents and, and the youngest boy was having some um some real challenges and issues, and they had him in um uh, i mean it it wasn't like a what do you call it? They had him in a facility for people that struggle with like mental health and breakdowns and stuff like okay. that so so that's where he was, so that was more of a process of working with him and getting him out of that institution that he was in, which probably took Cindy and I, I don't know, about six months in total before we were able to get him out and actually, you know, get legal custody of him and, you know, which we were able to do. So.
0: You bet he was relieved to get out of there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, um, and so, so we took them in and, you know, the one thing, even though I thought, you know, you know, I'm I'm doing great and I, and I'm happy. My life is is really changing and turning around. You know that uh, that alcohol <laughs> always stayed mm-hmm. a part of my life, though.
0: <laughs> right? It's the drugs, not the alcohol. That's that's the that that thought will kill you every time.
1: Yeah. In the over drinking, you know, there were times where I always felt that I w- had drinking in, in control. I guess I never looked at myself as an abuser of alcohol. Yeah, it's um, just a person with a higher talent, t- tolerance than others. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. it.
0: Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, I get it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's maybe one or two shots, you know, put you under yeah. and it takes me six, you know, Yeah,
0: it's not yeah. my fault.
1: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> so, so oh. that, that was, um, you know, something that, that I, I struggle with even, you know, after changing my life in, in that. Perspective. The alcohol still stayed with me, and you know. So now my brothers are are out, and you know my sisters still with us, and uh, we have our first child in two thousand and two, and we have our son. And I'm running my own business at the time, um, in the facility service industry, and um, things were going very well, and things weren't going as well anymore. And um, economy, you know, took a hit back then in the early 2000s. And uh, the larger companies were coming into our small little city of Colorado Mm -hmm. Springs. And they were they were taking all the business. And so I got an offer from a buddy of mine in the industry who had moved to Denver. And he asked me if I wanted to take a job in Denver. So I did. And I sold. What little bit of accounts that I had left, and had tons of debt from equipment and things like that. We ended up losing our our house, and yeah, just just wasn't a, a good time and a good place. And you know, having my 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 son, so we moved to Denver, and it was nothing what I thought. I mean, this job was a part of the job and a requirement to drink, and it was a requirement mm-hmm. to to entertain your customers and you mm-hmm. have a budget and you need it to spend that budget on a monthly basis. And it went from, from where I thought I had things under control to, I mean, it, my excuse was, Hey, I got to do this for work. I got to do this yep. for work. And so then we have our second child, or my wife's pregnant now with our second child, Um, our daughter, she's pregnant in Oh four. And so she's got a, what a two year, one and a half year old, she's pregnant and here I am coming home all the time, you know, hammered from work. And you know, so not so not good. She's mad, you know, a time or two, I think she drove down to her parents' house in Kairos Springs, 60 miles south of where we were, and um, you know, because of, you know, my entertaining clients. And so <laughs> I remember, you know, one time you know, I'm in my company car that they provided and we're entertaining, you know, customers. And we've been drinking all day long. I mean, it's unbelievable when I think about it because we're so far from that, you know, today in this company. But, you know, we were, I mean, we were at lunch with a customer and it started off the drinks at lunch. And the next thing you know, lunch started at 12 and it's two. And this customer's got her customer buddies coming. And then they're getting a glass of wine and they're getting this and they're getting that. And it's five o'clock and we're still there. Now it turns into happy hour. More and more people are showing <laughs> up. And you know, it's like eight o'clock now. I've been here, you know, we've been bouncing from one restaurant to the next restaurant, you know, for eight hours now. You know, but but I'm justified it's for work, right? I, I mean, mean,
0: did you get the account?
1: Yeah, the, yeah, right. We're I'm servicing my customers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, makes sense to me. Once again, I get it.
1: Right. And so I'm driving home and um and I obviously shouldn't be driving, but I'm driving home, getting to a fender bender on I 25. I think the guy's been drinking too. So we get out and we, we don't. know <laughs> it's your any fault. No, it's your fault. <laughs> it's it's like we're, we just don't want the police to come. So yeah, yeah. Go. Both
0: of you're like, look, I'm I'm drunk. Okay, good. I'm drunk too. Let's never <laughs> yeah. talk about this again. Let's,
1: okay. let's just wash your hands and let's go <laughs> yeah. our way. Right? <laughs>
0: yeah, it sounds like the best case scenario. To
1: be honest. <laughs> well, well, well oh. here's the thing, Ashley. It would have been instead. Oh, no. I'm I'm driving home. Oh, for and, the love. Um, I got a bumper hanging from my car. Okay, so I'm on I'm on the highway. <laughs> so you get pulled over. I, I get the bar. no. This is uh, even better. You, uh. you just it, it just gets better. And so I'm getting off on of my exit. We lived off of Arapahoe. And if you go right on Arapahoe, you're right in front of the police station. If you right? go left in the, on on Arapaho, and through the light, I mean, you're where our condos were. Well, which direction do you think I went?
0: Well, good Lord, don't go right.
1: Well, that's exactly what I did. So <laughs> I go right with my bumper dragging right in front of the police station. And what do you think happens? <laughs>
0: um Yeah, they they wanted to they wanted to see if you were all right.
1: They they come to see if I'm all right. And and there I get my first DUI. Mm, your first. Uh, yeah. Yeah. AKA
0: there was a second.
1: There was a second. Yeah. So that, that was the first UI. So so ten thousand dollars later and mm-hmm. all kind of classes and community service and the whole nine that that you go through. You would think I'd learn my lesson.
0: No. no. I like think it takes like two or three to learn your lesson. It,
1: it takes it takes a, a few, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because that could have like one DUI could have been like a one-off incident, right? Like, every, you know, oops, I have this company car. I, ha- I they gave me a budget to drink, kind of, you know. I mean, they basically expected you to drink. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> right. That's, so that's what you
0: do. <laughs> yeah, so so I feel like you you know you I feel like I, at least I'm thinking from my perspective I could justify one DUI if my job was to drink with my clients
1: yeah so 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 here here I get through that, and um, there's an opportunity for me to to take you know i fast forward from that that year that was in o four I get that d u i no i'm sorry i that was in the beginning of oh five I get that d u i so fast forward I get a call to come out here and take a job in Arizona. And, you know, the way things were going, the DUI, the cots coming home, you know, the kids now, my wife is just fed up. So I'm like, okay, a new start. We we move to Arizona and I can start over new and there won't be any drinking and and all this, the great stuff you say and that you tell yourself and you fool yourself because you really haven't made a resolve within yourself to make any changes. And uh, so we move here in December uh, of 05, and, you know, so happy, new beginning, new start, out with one of my new bosses, and what do you think happens? Well, after, I I don't know, about six double tall tonics later, I'm driving, don't know my way around because I've only been here two weeks. (laughs) Well, what do I do? I get a DUI. So so I start off with, with the DUI here. Well, in Arizona back then, Joe Pia mm-hmm. You know, was the sheriff. And so I'm he- have you heard of Tent City?
0: Oh yeah, and I know I know plenty of people who've been there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I could you could add me to your list now. So, you know, that got me that got me into Tent City. So, you know, I fought it and fought it and you know, there's there's mandatory jail time for that stuff. So thankfully it was work release. I was fortunate enough to keep my job and you know, I was like, okay, I got to quit drinking. This is crazy. You know, it's continuing the same pattern. That's not changing. And, you know, so I stopped, I think for like two weeks, you know, take a, take a two week break. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm just going to be a social drinker. And, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to oh. drink beer. No, no hard, no hard Who alcohol.
0: knew it was so easy? <laughs> uh <laughs> So you're like I'm just gonna okay, so I'm just gonna be a social drinker, and awesome. and your wife is like, great idea, yeah, I think that's a great experiment to try.
1: Yeah, for her, as long as there was no vodka involved, and if I can go to beer, she probably she thought that was the answer too. So yeah, just just beer, and, you know. That and that that was short lived, and and that that got me, you know, in and out of you know the same deal. But I did do good on the not the no drinking. So I would, I I did, I could say I did get on that for a long time. It hit some, hit some areas where, you know, I I got caught behind the wheel, but, you know, never got in, never got pulled over or any trouble. But for the most part, you know, I, I did not drive after I was drinking. And so I think I'm doing good and I'm managing it. I'm just like, okay, just no more going out, no more drinking out. If I go out with the customer, if I'm out with buddies, you know, put myself on a, a two drink, a drink limit, three drink limit, get home, and and I can keep drinking when I get home, but just not out. Right. So I tried that for for a while, and I don't know it, it just it just continued to to spiral out of control, and I just kept saying to myself and fooling myself that you know, I just have a higher tolerance than most, you know. It's why you know it's not that I'm over drinking or binge drinking, right? Just got this high tolerance, and you know, and so things. Um, you know, um, we sell our company. So, so the guys that brought me down here, so they sell their company in in '09. I'm working for for a larger company now. Um, actually, you know, I knew the guy back from from Colorado, um, that you know owned the company and is the CEO. So, um, you know. Working, doing my thing, you know, s- still drinking, trying to ma- maintain it. And he tells me um, after some years, you know, fast forward, you know, he-, he talks to me and just says, hey, you know, just just be careful what you're drinking. I think you're, you're drinking is you know, might might be something you might want to keep an eye on. And I'm like, mm. okay, yeah, that's coming up for my CEO. Probably better listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and so, so things aren't going, going so well, maybe in 2018, in the 2019, trying to make sure I got my dates right here. And, um, and w- w- from, from the business perspective. So I, I think I'm doing fine. I think things are going well. You know, he, he's got a different viewpoint on it. So he, he, he can be tough. He's a tough coach. You know, he's, he's successful in in his business for a reason and he pushes really hard. And so I kind of almost started to feel almost like memories of my dad again at Mm -hmm. times and being pushed and and then I would just go home and, and I try to go numb. That was my favorite word is going numb. I don't want to think you know, my wife said, Hey, where do you want to watch? I don't know anything. I don't have to think something stupid. Yeah, I can laugh and not think and just veg out and just be numb. And and that went on, you know, for a little while. And, um, you know, then, then we get into it from time to time, you know, we'd have some arguing matches and this is, you know, me and my employer. And, um, you know, I sent stupid messages or texts or emails and, you know, he was just like, Hey, you know, you, you need to get a handle on, on what's going on. You know, you're, you're going through something and, um, you know, you need to get it figured out. So, you know, I'm listening to him. I'm talking to some other people that know me pretty well and they're starting to tell me I need to get some things figured out. And my sister-in-law who lives in San Antonio, you know, whenever I'm there, her, her husband, we, you know, kind of ran the streets together and, um, you know, so we, we go way back from there. So we're, we're really close and we get together and reminisce and drink and, you know, it's out of control. And so he's not that bad, I guess, when I'm not, when, if I don't visit <laughs> or if they're not visiting. So, so she's even made a comment or two to me, you know, about, you know, Titus was just concerned. And I'm like, concerned, like, this is what we do, you know, right. then, then we all went to Costa Rica and it was, it it was bad. I drank a ton and, and it was bad. So, so now I, I got family talking to me. I got my employer saying something to me, you know, and my wife's always been saying something. So now it's just right. not her. Well, my daughter is starting to stay in her room and um, not come out or when she does it's, it's brief. And that's not us. We were super close family. And my son talks to me and it's like, dad, do you know why? You know, Kalani's always in her room, and it's because of when you when you drink too much, and um, you know, just we don't like seeing you like that. And so I'm like, I got a lot of people talking to me right now. Yeah, and um, and so her, we throw a a party for her on her. I think it was her eighth grade graduation, and we had it at a the Biltmore. It's a like a resort hotel, and she wants to do you know this brunch over at the Biltmore. So, so we stay the night there and um, we have close friends and her friends and everything come over and, you know, really nice, you know, dress up and, you know, environment. And, um, and this is one of the days I always remember in, you know, and I, and I regretted this, but, you know, it just got so tore up. I mean, Ashley, I mean, I, I passed out, during the the brunch and it it was embarrassing. You know, this was supposed to be all about my daughter and, you know, too many mimosas and, you know, just kind of took it into the bad place. So anyway, with all this communication from people and everybody telling me this, I've always been the person that always said, hey, if one person tells you something, you know, that's that's their thoughts, their perspective on things. That's, you know, just their opinion, you know. But if you got... Ten people telling you, and you're the only one <laughs> that disagrees. and maybe you got a problem, or maybe there's something you need to look at. And right. um, so I'm starting to think this in my mind. In and, and so this is all going in my mind, but I'm still drinking. I'm not giving it up, but it, it's 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 with me. And on March 30th of 2020, you know I'm I'm drinking, and uh, it started early at. You know, I was off that day. It started early at six in the morning. The wife is, she's on me. You know, why are you drinking at six in the morning? What is your problem? And I'm like, hey, look, just minding my own business, trying to enjoy my day off. I'm not even bothering you. Go back to bed. Why are you making a big deal? She's on me, which just triggers me more, you know. And so now it's, you know, I'm drinking more beginning in the biggest fight that we've ever gotten to, you know, and, and not nothing physical, but just the, the loudness and the arguing and, you know, and we did it in front of the kids and, you know, and I'm saying, you know, I'm cursing at her and I never curse at my wife and I'm saying cuss words and, and it just completely out of control with this. And, and her and the, the kids leave the house and she really wasn't too sure what she wanted to do if she was going to go to Texas with her sister or what she's going to do. So then that, that Tuesday, which was a year from today, I, uh, I, I called in sick. I took a PTO day because I I really had some, some deep thinking to do. And I, I sat at the kitchen counter and it just sat there in the morning. And I said, you got to decide what you want to do from here, Titus. You're going to keep drinking And this is just what you're going to do. And this is who you're going to be. Or you got to stop and you're going to change your life. You're going to become the husband, the father, the person that you know you can be. So I went and got the family together and we all went into my bedroom and I apologized. They were like, my daughter actually spoke up. Yeah, you always apologize, but nothing ever changes. I'm kind of done with it. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. Told my wife, you know, and she's like, ah, you know, Titus, it's the same. It's always the same thing. You feel bad, you drink, you feel bad, you drink, you feel bad, you know. It's just this vicious cycle. And, you know, we get that you get stressed at work and we get all these things. But, you know, do you know how we feel? You know, do you you realize the impact that you're having on us? Then my son, you know, tells me, you know, dad, think about this. Mom hasn't worked in years. She's been a stay at home, you know, since we've been born and you're the sole provider of the house. If you do something, you get in your car and you drive and you get pulled over and you go to jail, you lose your job, whatever, you know, like our whole life changes, like you're going to impact us and mom can't provide for us. And I can't provide, we can't, we can't provide for ourselves. And I, you know, I just don't know if you think about all these things you know, when you're drinking and the impact and you can have in, you know, as a mature at the time, 18 year old, he's telling me this stuff. And he's like, yeah, you know, Hey, in or maybe he's 17 going to turn 18. And he's like, Hey, Kalani and I are getting older and you don't want to ruin this relationship. And, you know, and, and this is how you want us to remember you dad, as we get older and we move out and, you know, I know you don't want that. I know what you've been through as a kid. And all these things were super impactful <laughs> as I'm standing there, like listening to my family and the things I've been pondering. And I said, I know that, you know, it's words, but, you know, I've made a decision for me and it had to be my decision, but I've made this decision right. that I'm going to stop drinking. And so they said, well, that's great. And my wife said, you need help. And I was like, nah, that, not, not doing that. I don't need help. <clears throat> and she like, you need professional help. I said, I don't need professional help. You know, I just said, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. So they said, I looked at the kids. I said, do you guys agree with mom? And then you go, yep, we do. And I said, so everybody here thinks I need help. And they all say, yeah. So, okay, i think about it. Uh, no guarantees. I don't think I do, but I'll think about it. Thank you. So I went back out. Well, they took off later on. I go run errands, pondering over everything. My life feels like it's just spiraling out of control. And uh, and I go online and I start doing some research. And uh, I find Lion Rock. And I call, talk to a lady. Super pleasant, super nice. And her name was Nancy. We spoke for like almost an hour. And I don't know. It was just something about what she was telling me, what I was looking for. It just felt so, right. And, you know, I um I signed up and, you know, and I think a week later I started the intense group, you know, sessions and therapy of it. And um one thing I one thing I left out was uh so <laughs> when and and this was still a year from now on the 31st of last year March. So my wife is talking to her, her friends and um, you know, there's families that we're we're super super close with. There's four of us that we do everything together. And in the husbands rally up, and I get this text message from one, and he goes, "You're going to be home later because we're coming over." And just the tone, the way the text read, I'm <laughs> like, "What the heck is this?" And so then I find out why the family left that day while I was doing my research and found Lion Rock. So one of my buddies is. I know he's probably like three forty. He's an ex bodybuilder and um, he's a he's a he's a trainer. He's a big boy. And then the uh, the other two guys, you know, they come over. And um, so I've already done my research, found Lion Rock, had a great conversation with Nancy. Feel so great about moving forward. And they come over, and they answer the door, and they're like, "Can we come in?" I'm like, "Yeah." So they come in, sit down, and they start asking me what's going on, what happened yesterday blah, 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 we can't, we can't can't see you like this. And one of my buddies, he, he lost a friend to alcoholism and said he's not going to lose another close friend to it. So as we're talking, I'm trying to figure out well, what's going on here. So tell him, I, yeah, this is what I told Cindy now. I called Lion Rock. I'm super excited. Tomorrow I'm talking to somebody to give all my insurance information, get the program started. They're like, can we see it? So go online, share the videos. We're looking. They're like, oh, that sounds great. Then then one goes, the one that texts me, he goes, so you notice why we're in sweats and everything when we came over here? And I said, no. He said, man, we're, we're going to haul you out of here, whatever it <laughs> took, F- scrapping, fighting, whatever. But you were going to get some help tonight. <laughs> and I was like, are, are you kidding me? And he goes, no, uh, I'm not kidding. We came over here. We were, we were dragging you out of here.
0: Uh, oh, my God. We're so happy to get that we don't
1: have to. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. And so they they boxed up all the alcohol in the house, which was mainly Cindy's. Um, you know, she's not a a big drinker at all, and uh, but she collects, and that's why. And I don't like her stuff, so that's why she had so much of it. And um, so they, they <laughs> yeah. just what's that?
0: I, I would say, yeah, the that's it, our stuff. When we're drinking, it's like we we don't have a ton left over. It's no, not a, we don't that's not usually our style.
1: No, I'm at the store every day or every other mm-hmm. day. Yeah. So yeah, there's no stock for me. Mm-hmm. So they just wanted to get it out of the house. And I was like, no, I, I made my mind over, guys. And they're like, we feel comfortable if we take it. So they box everything up and took everything out. And you know, I started my journey with Lion Rock and my journey of healing and recovering, you know, on March thirty-first, twenty twenty. So today is my one year anniversary.
0: Congratulations. Of being sober free. That is so awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. One yeah. year. Congratulations. Thank
1: you. Thank you. And you know, it just um, you know, it took me being extremely honest with myself and, and really wanting to make a change and really taking, you know, the group lessons and the tools that are provided, you know, which is called phase work. And just taking that serious. And I was always open and honest. And, you know, one of the things that really helped me was my habit and my routine was to get home from work, go in my garage, get a beer, come inside, a couple of shots, chase out my beer. And that was my routine. Then I'd eat afterward and go to bed. And the the way that the group was set up is that, you know, it was from like six PM at nine. So that time where I would be drinking and doing something non productive. I was productive with my time, learning how to heal, listening to other people's stories, understanding that, you know, I wasn't alone out there and that other people were making progress doing it. And other people were there to make progress. And so it was it was truly, truly eye opening and and so helpful. And, And then I would talk about the groups, you know, what I would say or I would what my family and I would, you know, read them like my face work, like, hey, I got, I'm presenting my face work on Wednesday. <laughs> and, you know, how's the sound? I've been working on this. And, you know, my wife's like, oh, that's great. And, you know, after like two months, my daughter, you know, just said, dad, I can tell you're really changing. This is really helping you. You're like excited. You like look forward to your groups and your work and you're writing all this stuff out. And I'm so proud of you. And she gave me a hug and that was like the start of healing our relationship back.
0: Yeah. And
1: my son's always just been this trooper and, you know, I worry if more is hidden inside of him because he's just always from the outside, just that loving, supportive, you know, kid. But, you know, I just started to watch my relationship with my wife continue to improve and get better. And I started feeling so much better. I wasn't waking up with this guilt and anxiety or who did i text and who did i call and you know hey honey i'm sorry for this and hey i got to go to the kids cuz they saw me do this or they heard this and you know i it's like i rid myself of all of that and you know one of the big things that i come to learn for myself too is that you know with all that childhood trauma that that i was hiding and running from that it caused some insecurities in myself and, you know, um, my self-worth was really at an all time low and I didn't think very highly of myself. And, um, and I really, through trying to heal and you know, learning those different distortions and how to deal with that and looking at things in a different light and in a different way and, you know, really, looking at myself and being proud of the progress that I've been making, you know, it's just been so exhilarating. And, you know, for the longest time, I know one of my, my or not one, my counselor um, was encouraging me to, you know, maybe write a, a letter to, to my mom, you know, because a lot of that healing process is really writing and getting those, those feelings mm-hmm. out and facing them, as you know, and, and I, I don't know what, what it was. It was like, I did all this phase work and I completed all of it, right? And when I was out of the group and I graduated from that phase and you know, I was just doing my weekly one-on-one counseling, every week I had an excuse and it was so unlike me. And she just politely just say, hey, and just checking on you, you get an opportunity to work on that letter. And I'm like, no, this and that and the other, <laughs> I'm like, what is the deal? So, you know, I I sat down and I started writing. And what I realized is that I thought, you know, I've really been running and hiding from the tragedy of my mother's death, which is a big part of it. But even a bigger part was not dealing with my dad and our issues. Because Mm -hmm. as I started writing this, what was going to be this letter to my mom, I realized I started writing a lot about, My dad, and how I felt, and how things transpired, and then I just get these pages and these pages and these pages, and I still hadn't even got to my mom yet. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, "Oh, this is a bigger issue that's Mm -hmm. inside me I haven't dealt with." And so that exercise really helped me to see that even I didn't know what I was dealing with Mm -hmm. inside, and. You know, it, it really helped me from a healing perspective. And, you know, and as I, I got all that out and was able to read it to, like I said, we're a very close and open family. I, I read it to my kids and I read it to my wife, and, you know, we went through it. And, um, you know, I also wrote them, you know, um, how I feel about them and how thankful I am for their support and in my life. And I was able to finally write a letter to my mom. And, um, and I decided the letter probably would have been very depressing and very down because that's just how I saw everything. And I'm like, you know, she died with me knowing that, you know, I was, wasn't the the son that she raised at the time. And, you know, it was more about, let me tell you about the positives and the transformation and the great things that are happening and about your grandchildren and, you know, in it you know, it was a, it was a, a, a nice, you know, letter. And, um, I shared that with my family. I started, a an Instagram page in of videos that I, you know, give some encouraging thoughts, talk about my past, encouraging people to face their, you know, their fears, learn to, you know, to cope with those things so they can bring out the better version of themselves. And, you know, I shared that letter, you know, on that page and, you know, so not only do am I opening up to myself, but at a place where I'm vulnerable enough to open up and share with others and, and yeah, I love and the it. hopes to help other people. So it's kind of like it. a high level overview of kind of where I it's was am- to where I'm at today, Ashley.
0: It's amazing. It's totally incredible. And and just the transformation that you talk about and you know, it just it goes to show how resilient we are and and hearing about your kids and them noticing the difference and, and your commitment to your recovery, you know, getting excited about your phase work. And, you know, (laughs) one of the things that I think is important is a lot of people, they come to an outpatient program or they hear about outpatient program and we say to them, you know, part of the program is going to these groups and they say, well, I don't need groups. I just need individuals. And From someone who didn't even think he needed professional help, why do you think that going to group for, you know, and this is for the people who don't understand why group is so valuable. Why do you think that going to group was so valuable to your recovery?
1: Oh my gosh. It it was so, I mean, I was definitely one of those people that just thought, you know, give me somebody to talk to. I can talk it out, let them listen and, you know, um, get to where I needed to be if I was going to accept professional help. But Mm -hmm. you know, I said on the first day of group when I introduced myself, I said that, you know, I'm I'm not trying to offend anybody, but my my view of group is that it's for people who just feel sorry for themselves and don't Mm -hmm. have the mindset and the willpower to just make a change. And that that was my first day (laughs) of introduction Uh. of of group. And You know and was, how to make an impression. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, my God, so good, so good. And,
1: and I was so, so happy with, within the 30 days for me to eat those words and actually say, I said, I, I want to say something to everybody in the group. I started off and, and I, I made this comment. And I just want to say that I, I couldn't be in the place I am today without group and without everybody's support and everybody's vulnerability i'm so thankful for you know all the stories and you know the the honesty that you know people have been able to open up with and i think it's so invaluable that you know when you know that other people are going through struggles and you see the things that they have to do to overcome those struggles And it's not easy. And you're in an environment that creates like the safe platform where you can open up and have that vulnerability. And no one's judging you. No one's looking down on you. Everybody's there to support and try to help and encourage you and build you up. That, I mean, you can't get that on a one-on-one. I mean, it was just, I literally would like, Oh my gosh, I got to keep going. I got group and wrap things up at the office. Like I got to keep going. I got to hurry up. You know, I got group. And, you know, if I was like one minute late, I was texting my, my group, you know, counselor saying, you know, Hey, I'm just pulled up at the house of Merlin and I'm going to be logging in, you know, (laughs) and, you know, because it was just that important to me. And, um, you know, I I didn't want to let anybody in the group down and I know everybody feels that way about one another. And it was just so impactful. Like you you can't, you really can. Honestly, you you can't trade that for a one on one. And, um, you know, for me, and I'll say this because I I said this to in group is that even though I made this resolve within myself, I said, I'm going to stop drinking. It was hard for me to picture that, to say, how in the world can I go to, I can see a month, but past a month, I was yeah. like, I can't see that. It like gave me anxiety. It stressed me out. And then yeah. the to pull it out of my life altogether it was like so overwhelming. How so, does this work? Yeah how how could it work? It's like to me, it's like it's a um, it's kind of impossible, right, to just take that out. And what I loved about group is that when you give your introduction, um, or you you your check in, I guess I should say, you check in. Hi, my name is Heather Gardner. My drug of choice is alcohol. And I've been sober for X amount of days. Well, I hear people say stuff like, I've been sober for 70 days. I'm like, what? I've been sober for 90 days. What? I've been sober for 120 (laughs) days. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I can't wait to hear this. Like, how did you do that? How did you get there? (laughs) Right? And, you know, and I'm like, I'm Titus Gardner. I've been sober for like five days now, you know, and it's such a milestone to hear like, how am I going to get to these guys that are at 40 days, 70 days? 120 days, like, how did they do that? And I want to be at that place. And, um, you know, that in itself, too, is so encouraging to just see that people were doing it and it was possible and it can be done.
0: And you did it. You've done it. You've done it for a year. 365,
1: 365 days. That's my check-in. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. That's right. That's your check-in. It's incredible. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you're an incredible human being and I I love your Instagram videos and your story is so inspiring. And I'm just really grateful that you decided to share your story with the the world and and this particular audience. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are going to relate and find value in the words that you are sharing with us.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I've listened to your story <laughs> on your podcast, so I appreciate you sharing your amazing story as well. And yeah, I just uh, you know having this feeling of really caring for yourself and loving yourself—it's built so much confidence in me as a as a person. Um, so much happier, you know, as a person. And I just want to share that and. I work around people and I talk to people and I see people and I'm around people within my family. And I know that they face the similar struggles about themselves and, Mm -hmm. you know, it may not be alcohol, it may be something else. And if I can encourage, you know, people to really think about themselves and, you know, if that means you have to seek out professional, you know, help or whatever it is that you have to do, it's so valuable to take those steps to become a better you. It's an amazing feeling and it's something that actually I really wish I would have done years and years ago, but I'm glad that, you know, (laughs) I'm still here and was able to do that. And I just look forward to what the future holds for me.
0: Me too. Me too. You'll have to keep us posted. Thank you so much. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meetings, schedule, and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.